Hello and welcome back to ABC Gotham, your amateur New York history podcast. I am your host, Kathleen. With me is Kate. Hi. Hello, Kate. If you've been listening to ABC Gotham, you have heard episodes A, B, C, D, and E, which brings us to letter F. What do we have today, Kate? First of all, I can't believe, we're, I feel like we're really flying through the alphabet. We, I kind of, it feels like we are, yeah, but there's just so much New York history to do. There's so much interesting stuff. It only makes sense. I know. Well, this was a bit of a, a I was really excited about this one. This week's episode is going to be about the Five Points neighborhood, which no longer exists. Five Points neighborhood. But was in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of funny because I actually used to work um, in Soho, not too far from where Five Points once was. I see. And to see what it once was and to see what it is now is just whole, two totally different neighborhoods. It is, it is almost laughably ridiculous when you think <laughs> about what's there now. Just the, the very quickest thing, Five Points, for those of you who have not seen the Martin Scorsese film, Gangs of New York, was a, a slum, lots of tenements, a lot of crime, a lot of gangs. Um, really quite notorious, kind of considered the worst the world over, and of course we'll get into that. It was at the intersection of Baxter and Moscow streets, and then another street worth coming in at an angle to get your Five Points all at one intersection. Right now, if you do go down to where Worth intersects with Baxter, you are at City Hall, the Federal Court Building, the State Court Building, the City Court Building. There is a prison nearby. There is a big section of uh, of the downtown City Hall area where cars aren't allowed to drive. That is five points. Basically, if you've had jury duty in Manhattan, I think that's the area you'll, they'll send you to. I think so. Yeah, very open, spacious, mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. people crammed on top of each other, mm -hmm. just amazing. Like, at some point, at five points height, only some areas of the London East End, mm -hmm. that was pretty much the only area in the world that was vying for it with the, like, sheer population density. Mm-hmm. That area, which is now... This is, this is often compared, yeah, like, Charles Dickens' absolute squalor. You're going to hear the word squalor a lot in this show, uh, listeners, because I really like that word, and, and it applies a lot in this case. I just love the Charles Dickens, like this guy who writes all these books, really a lot about slums and people coming out mm -hmm. of the slums. Mm -hmm. I love that he is appalled by Five exactly. Points. That really exactly. made me laugh. And actually, to hearken back to an earlier episode... The mm -hmm. Our Contagion episode, so mm -hmm. many of those diseases we talked about originated in Five Points. Exactly. And exactly for the same reason that we mentioned in the Contagion episode, episode C, is, you know, horrible living conditions, no fresh water, no sanitation, people, you know, not really understanding the germ theory of disease. And, of course, if, if someone was sick, they stay the hell away from the hospital because people die in hospitals. Yeah. I mean, it was it was... A ridiculous number of problems compounding each other and and yeah one of the one of the main cholera outbreaks did start in five points well kathleen it's funny that you say no fresh water because before it was five points when it was still you know manhattan was still being settled it was mm -hmm. actually a freshwater pond a spring-fed freshwater pond i just imagine this like idyllic beautiful mm-hmm I, I think it got to be the pond was about 40 eight acres mm. round at, or, you know, across. 
It got mm-hmm. as deep as 60 feet. It just sounds so beautiful. It's in a valley. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. This was it a was spring-fed the... pond. It was, it was, you know, and everything was wild around it still. Now, this is, this is like day one Manhattan in terms right. of the white settlers. This was, this was way, way back. It was New York City's main source for drinking water when it was just, mm-hmm. I guess, New Amsterdam more and just kind of like lower Manhattan. It sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, some businesses start to set up around this pond, mm-hmm. uh, including a brewery, um, mm-hmm. Coolsheart's Brewery, Nicholas Bayard's uh, Slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. This area is actually called Slaughterhouse Street at some point. Oh, there are also <laughs> new, I know, I just imagined blood in the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of tanneries. You know, it's just kind of all these things around the, the pond start popping mm-hmm. up. And of course, all of these uh, businesses are dumping their contaminated wastewater into the pond. Exactly. It's like the most fetid possible businesses set up around the pond, the slaughterhouse, the tannery. And of course, they're the ones that have the stuff that they're going to need to dump. So I understand why that happened, but still, it happened and... Yeah, it's pretty bad. It becomes Mm. a a huge... Obviously, a huge pollution problem, environmental mm-hmm. health hazard. People just can't, mm-hmm. you can't, ha- people aren't living there anymore. Um, businesses mm-hmm. are shutting down. My favorite thing, which I got really excited about, and I'm sad never happened. Um, mm. Pierre Charles L'Enfant, famous for designing the streets uh, that we know of Washington, D.C. right now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. proposed cleaning the pond and making it a park. What a great idea. Which sounds so nice. And he says, you know, you could have neighborhoods grow around this park. It'd be like the crown jewel of the city. Exactly. It'd be like Central Park. You'd have a Central Park in Lower Manhattan. It would, it sounds natural. It wouldn't have been like all, you know, imported and structured. It'd be the the pond that was here from day one is still here. But Kate, whenever I go down to downtown Manhattan and I look for that pond, I can't seem to find it. You never see it? No, it's because it was filled in. They did a landfill. They fill it in and they're, they spilled uh, middle class housing, mm-hmm. but they didn't do a really good job filling it in. Mm-hmm. I guess they use like vegetation, like rotting vegetables, like th- mm-hmm. things that I think of would go in a compost mm-hmm. were used in the landfill, which of course start to release methane gas. Right. And that's the... That's your foundation. That's the base of your building. And you don't have to be an engineer to know that probably wasn't the best choice. No, it's terrible. It's still a depression. Like, it's still kind of a valley. Mm. So, you know, it just gets worse. Uh, There's also kind of a swampy area starts really, it becomes a really bad problem. Mm. There's no storm sewers. Mm -mm. The ground starts to settle, so houses are shifting on their foundations. Mm. Unpaved streets are mostly muddy and are filled with human and animal excrement. Mm -hmm. There's mosquitoes, which of course lead to malaria. It's just a disaster. So these middle and upper class inhabitants who moved in Mm -hmm. are just fleeing. It's Mm. no one wants to be there who can afford to get out. So then the neighborhood, which already has buildings in it, are left to these 
poor immigrants that start coming in in like the 1820s. Mm -hmm. If you can afford to get out, you get out. And if you don't, then you become a slumlord. You you will own mm. your house, and you probably don't live there, but you mm. will own a building there and just make money off of these poor immigrants coming in mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. living in these slums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. And this is just how the entire cast, you know, the entire neighborhood changes from a middle-class area, but built on a, a, a inexpertly built landfill. And... You know, when I think about how we build landfills now, Battery Park uh, mm -hmm. is kind of on a landfill. Um, you know, a, a lot of lower Manhattan is landfill. The thing is, they've figured it out. They know how to build landfills so that it's still land. And it's not a problem that way. You know, it's it's not just pushing sludge into the hole in the ground and hoping it'll all hold. It's There's more to it than that. And I think that's all they did. I think they just threw, they're like, here's some extra dirt. We'll throw it in this pond and mm -hmm. it'll fill in. Mm-hmm. And yes, so, so what happens is you get the poorest people, the people who have no choice but to live in the least expensive housing, which is this extremely undesirable area. And that's turns out to be uh, an influx of uh, Irish immigrants fleeing the potato famine and newly emancipated African Americans because slavery was ended in New York State in 1827. So there were legendary tensions between these two groups, uh, as one might expect. But something really interesting about this, their coexistence, they did choose that it all choose to live there presumably they didn't have anywhere else to live but you right. know they were all there it was the first large-scale instance of volitional racial integration in american history i actually uh, my studies also turned up um something interesting that tap dancing is invented mm -hmm. in five points these dance halls that brought together both Irish and African Americans and mm -hmm. these two different ways of dancing kind of merged together and now that's why we have tap dancing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a, a fusion of Irish reels and jigs with uh, African shuffle. Uh, I'm not sure what that is. I'm not sure either. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure that it was mostly a tense situation. It was mostly a separate thing. But you all live together and... Initially, due to there'd be just competition on the street where people would be playing their music and dancing and they would like compete with each other and then they would kind of merge to each other. And this is how tap dancing came along. Amazing. And it's 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 very cool to think to just imagine that evolution to, to imagine this cultural thing, this uniquely American thing. So you have some good stories coming out of Five Point, just this like racial blending. Granted, there are riots, which we will get to. Mm hmm. But I do think it was better than where some of these people were coming from, especially the Irish, who were coming over with just incredibly poverty-stricken. There's no money, no work, no food. Mm -hmm. um, some of these people were actually from certain counties in Ireland. The landowners, kind of, were just paying to put people on boats to bring them to the mm. States mm -hmm. because it was cheaper than actually maintaining them cost, really? the cost of maintaining them in uh poor houses in ireland it was cheaper just to put them on a boat say it's not my problem anymore let's just get rid of these people half the people would you know a lot of people died on the boats on the way mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. 
So I guess by the time they got here, they were like, well, it's got to be, it's got to be better. But then they do end up in this neighborhood that has, it's really a lot of down. I, I didn't know that. I thought every, I thought I'll, I just had this idea of the Irish immigrant as someone who saved up or, or their family saved up and, you know, sent them over to America and work hard and you can bring the rest of us over. And But you're saying people just got dumped? People kind of, they, I mean, I, I'm sure they were offered. I'm sure they're like, hey, mm. you know, do you want to go to America? And yeah, some research I came up with just said that, but the, the sad thing is the, the, the people who end up going end up being the people who are really starving and really ill. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones when really they get there, are they even going to be able to work? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they definitely were, it, not all of the Irish immigrants, but some were sent, just kind of sent, like, this is not our problem anymore. Mm. You guys deal with it. And so... I had no idea. You know, these people are just dumped. Wow. Wow. Oh, gosh. That's, that changes a lot. I mean, that changes just the image of someone who comes over here. The fact that they're here is at least telling that they were determined enough and, you know, optimistic enough to, to make the passage happen. That, and that, as it turns out, is not actually something you can assume. Wow. This changes yeah. a lot. Okay. I know. When I found that out, I was pretty shocked. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we should start really getting into how bad this neighborhood really was. Yes, this brings us to the squalor. Squalor, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. It was a squalid time in a squalid place. Do you love place. that word? <laughs> I really love this word. So I mentioned before that um, that brewery that had been mm -hmm. dumping all of its waste into the pond, which kind of leads to Five Points even existing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it wasn't torn down when they filled in the pond. It was still there because it's kind of on the banks of the pond. It becomes I do want to make a, a quick note about this brewery, uh, Coulter's yeah. Brewery, which was then at some point known as the Old Brewery. Um, if you remember the episode B about beers and brewery, we did not mention this brewery. And that was completely deliberate because it's a bad brewery. It's we awful. Totally left it out of that episode and made no mention of it whatsoever. Totally on purpose. Continue, Kate. Okay. So it's a, uh, yeah, it, it becomes kind of a, it's an overcrowded tenement at some point. Mm. Uh, it's called... Uh, the old brewery was on Cross mm. Street. Apparently, it housed about a thousand people. Mm. Just this like massive number of people. And it's famous for having a murder a night for mm. 15 years. Mm. And until it was finally demolished in the 1850s, 1852. I was just shocked. It was like a murder a night. Mm. Mm. Unbelievable. Uh, there's definitely you know, stories of, like, police going in and never coming back out again. Mm-hmm. Police generally did not want to go in there unless they had a lot of other police with them. Yeah, there's a story of a little girl who lived in a base, small basement room with, like, 25 other people. Mm. And she stabbed to death over a penny that she had begged off of the street. Mm. The body stayed there for five days, rotting away in this tenement. Here's the thing about Five Points, and this is really interesting, and this kind of relates back to our episode D, debunked, and it's this. The people who were writing about Five Points were journalists trying to sell newspapers, were missionaries 
and and religious types who were you know shocked simply shocked at the horror and the squalor the martin scorsese movie gangs of new york was based on a book gangs of new york which was a somewhat fictionalized account actually some historians have had some disagreements with a, a number of things in that and this is this is this really interesting aspect of like a whole who records history who writes history definitely five points was a squalid place there was infectious disease there were brothels this is this is quite literally true every building had a brothel in in yeah. a certain radius of the of the five points intersection it was not uh an exaggeration there were you know these these different gangs that would fight each other and a lot of anti-immigrant fervor a lot of racism a lot of bias a lot of poverty it was it was a bad situation we could even you know there's there's the disgusting squalid stuff there you know there was no sewage there was no sanitation no fresh water there's no fresh air light you know and, and these and these crowded tenements but there is a historian who was interviewed shortly after gangs of new york came out and he said a lot of stuff is right some stuff is wrong also really? some stuff yeah i saw lots of reports about the squalor especially in the old brewery and definitely the brewery was a horrific place but at some point the descriptions got almost almost too almost like outrageously unbelievable there's there's a report of there were uh, children who were born in the old brewery who didn't see daylight until their teens oh no that definitely yeah. sounds like a debunked myth yeah children wandering barefoot unsupervised and if they're outside of the brewery playing on dead horses and splashing in puddles of human waste. And, and I read that, and I was like, uh, really? Some of that, I think that's definitely an exaggeration. I mean, I was horrified by the murder a night for 15 years. I'm mm -hmm. not really sure every night there was that a murder. Was, that was this one point, this historian, Tyler Anbinder, he wrote a book called Five Points. So there's a separate book, Gangs in New York, and that's what the movie is. He wrote the book Five Points, and he actually reviewed the script of Gangs in New York for Scorsese. It says there was one tenement, the brewery, that had one murder per day. Actually, at the time, the whole city had barely one murder per month. Oh. I still want to stick with my murder a night. And at this point, it's so hard to tell what's true, but I, I, I hope that this historian is right, because a murder per day, that comes out to 5,000 people over 15 years, and that's, that's a, it's a lot. serious uh, dent I'm in the... yes. There's definitely a lot of bad stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. it, yeah, you have to take it all with a grain of salt. Uh, exactly. I do know it's pretty. Some of the stuff is pretty amazing. That is true. So, mm -hmm. like one of the things I found. So Five Points has about twenty-two blocks mm -hmm. in, in in total, and there were two hundred and fifty-two saloons, mm -hmm. which just seems amazing. That's uh, a lot. Well, saloons and grocery stores, but groceries always had, like, a small space at the end of the counter, which acted as a bar. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I'm counting groceries with these saloons. saloons. I think they were called groggeries, because you could get your groceries and your grog there. Oh, man, I wish we still had those. I know, right? <laughs> well, Whole Foods so, is sort of like that, and that's on the Bowery, even. There's definitely, you know... 
there's definitely it's a bad it's a bad neighborhood. It's yeah, yeah. But there, there's I a mean, lot of muggings, a lot of violence. Absolutely, absolutely. Middle class people would actually go slumming. This is where slumming came from, and would take a a handkerchief soaked in camphor and hold it to their nose because it did stink. It stunk bad, and take a police escort and go around and just walk around and look at these people. This is wow. something they would do. Ostensibly, you know, uh, you know, it's like it's like a train wreck, honestly. Like a lot of people were moved to do something for the people, but most of them weren't. Most of them were just there to gawk and and be horrified. And that was uh I don't want to say a big business, but it certainly was a business. So it was it was a bad situation, but I think a lot of it was also these descriptions were written by people who saw children running around, you know, trade happening, people buying and selling food, maybe some animals running around, and were just, just horrified and didn't understand what they saw. And maybe maybe it was not quite the nightmare. Um, this historian, Tyler Anbender, who, who wrote the book Five Points, he says many Five Points residents actually had real jobs. There were shoemakers and tailors, masons, grocers, cigar makers, liquor dealers, laborers, they were, you know, living, yeah, 20 to a room, trying to save money, trying to improve their lives, trying to bring relatives over from Europe. But it's, it's not necessarily the, the pit of nightmarish squalor, 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 that, uh, that a lot of the writings might imply. He actually did say, yes, you know, this is where I got the thing that Based on police records from the 1840s and 50s, nearly every building did house a brothel. Yes, there's a ridiculous number of taverns. But he looked at crime records uh, from New York from the time, and he said, other than public drunkenness and prostitution, there was no more crime in Five Points than the rest of the city. Now, I don't know how he can write off public drunkenness and, in particular, prostitution so lightly, because those are big deals, and those are crimes, and... Uh, and that is a significant difference for the rest of the city, but it's uh, it does indicate something not quite as nightmarish. And in the case of the gangs, he says they were not gangs so much as they were like political clubs. They would work to get the guy they wanted into office, and there were gangs of immigrants, and there were gangs of, quote, native-born Americans who actually called themselves Native Americans for a while. Wow. And and there were a lot of tensions between them and there were fights and brawls and fist fights, but um and sometimes there'd be fights like at the polling places on election day. And but they were all all those fights were for a purpose. They were to ultimately get their guy elected. Well, we do have riots that happen though, and that's a yes. bit that's definitely between gangs. But before we get to the riots, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just to kind of reiterate what you said, mm -hmm. a lot of these people who are taking these tours of Five Points, mm -hmm. which people would do, they would come down to slum. There's also neighborhoods that were famous for being like the cocaine neighborhood where you go mm -hmm. to slum downtown and get your fix. Mm-hmm. And, but, um, I mean, most of the people who were coming down into these neighborhoods to slum or just to see it or to do missionary work or whatever are mm. mostly Protestant Americans. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the people who are in Five Points living there 
are generally Catholic. You have a lot mm-hmm. of Catholic, you have, and you have different, you have a lot of different languages, not just English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have, you know, Irish immigrants speaking mm-hmm. their native language. You have, you have Jewish, uh, a lot of, uh, big Jewish population at some point, and they're speaking mm-hmm. Yiddish. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have all these different languages going on. So they're also looking around and saying, I don't know what anyone here is saying. They're yeah. all, all these people, and you, it's easy to group like the, a lot of these at some point when it's Irish as this like Catholic neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. look at how sinful and what they get up to. Yes. So, anyway. and that's always been a big part of, you know, any, any kind of poverty before we've taken, before we kind of move to a more enlightened stance is blaming the poor, blaming the sick, blaming them for their state. Because, you know, as we discussed in the contagion episode, then you don't have to do anything. There's nothing you can do. They're living their life of depravity and they're being uh, rewarded as one would expect such depravity to be rewarded and you notice that there isn't you know we're not all dying of uh venereal disease and uh cholera up in these nice neighborhoods and that's because we don't live such depraved lives yes Mm -hmm. well the sad part about all of this is the sheer number well there's a lot of riots there Mm -hmm. are i guess three major riots Mm-hmm. But the the riots are really on a huge scale. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty much, like, if you've seen Gangs of New York, there's that massive riot at the mm-hmm. end, which isn't really historically accurate. I'll put that out there. But mm-hmm. the, just... I think it was that that major riot did happen. I think it was unlikely that they were all armed with, like, with like swords and, and broad axes. Like, occasionally yeah. there, were, there were weapons, but, you know, you didn't have entire armed crowds so i think another problem is some of the people who are in that riot were not alive at the time that riot would have happened that too yeah yeah there's a bit of a problem with that but we're not here to critique and and martin scorsese did not set out to make a documentary this is something we have to remember he made a a dramatic statement and and a good one no and i think it i think it is a good glimpse at what the neighborhood had been Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm definitely so uh, a lot of the riots we have are based around race mm-hmm. um, or they're just gang, they're gang wars, turf mm-hmm. wars, because you, you all the time have one gang move in and mm-hmm. is really the dominant for the neighborhood and seen as like the worst in the city for a long time. But then at some point there, 50 years later, another gang has come along and there's mm-hmm. going to be a battle between mm-hmm. the two of them. Uh, I do eventually want to get into the really famous gangsters that were part of some of these gangs, but Definitely. Kathleen, yes. do you want to start us off with the uh, the riots? I guess um, the first one would be the the Farron riots, right? The yes. anti-abolitionist riots. Yes, the anti-abolitionist riots, and this is 1834. Uh, I mean, didn't do too much research on this because we're hoping to focus on things possibly later in the uh, in, a, in a later episode, but. Why should we fight to and get killed to free another people from uh, from slavery? There, you know, we were not this selfless, pluralistic nation that we we like to think we are. The whole time, guys. Sorry, there were times where uh, 
our countrymen behaved rather deplorably, and they didn't want to die to free the slaves. And that was part of the anti-abolitionist riots. Um, Which sadly will come up again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And another riot that I have here in 1857, the Dead Rabbits Riot. I love the name of this gang. If I ever have a gang, I'm going to totally name it something like that. It's kind of adorable. I, I didn't look into where the name came from, but I, I do like that. The name, name comes from, it's the, um, when they would go into battle, when they'd go mm -hmm. into fight another gang, mm -hmm. they would put a dead rabbit on a stick and it was like their mascot, their like banner that you carry into battle. Oh, they were okay. famous for carrying a dead rabbit on a stick, like a big pike, into yeah. the fighting. That's horrible. <laughs> it's I know they sound kind of cute, but no, they're it's cute. they're they're a really bad, um, really awful gang. Mm, mm. And when we say gang, these gangs were generally in charge of different areas, and where they would just like what you think of the mafia, where it would be, mm -hmm. we're in charge of all the gambling and prostitution, and mm. you know, drinking, all these early organized crime, yeah. Organized crime, and like you said, corrupt political leanings. They would back, you know, Tammany Hall, or they'd back whatever who was in power. Mm -hmm. There's actually a famous um, election that the total number of ballots mm -hmm. um, for one person was higher than the entire number of residents of who could have voted for District person. Six, yeah. which is five points, which <laughs> is something that these gangs would have done. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But the, the Dead Rabbits riot, just to really briefly, it's the Dead Rabbits destroy the headquarters of the Bowery Boys, who yes. are um, a very large and mean gang. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a big riot, which kind of goes back and forth mm -hmm. for a couple days. Yeah, um, it like dies down and then starts up again in the morning. And yeah, this was a, this was a long-term fight. Yeah, there's like a thousand, apparently there anywhere from 800 to a thousand gang members took parts in the riots. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of this all out fight. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The, I think the most famous riot there though was probably the New York City draft riots. Definitely. Which is along the same lines of what we were talking about before, mm -hmm. where sadly you have, uh, the Irish, uh, mm -hmm. who are, are, you're starting to become drafted to, to do the Civil War at this point in mm -hmm. 1863. And these Irish, uh, this is kind of what my research said, were worried about competition from all mm -hmm. these eman emancipated uh, Southern um, African Americans coming north for to escape the South and escape mm -hmm. slavery. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're worried about the competition for uh, the unskilled and semi-skilled jobs right. that the Irish had taken at that point, they become worried that, well, if we go to fight, then we are, uh, we're going to, we're essentially fighting so that these people can come and take our jobs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's interesting because the, when they, they did like a drawing, uh, the first time they did the draft, they drew names from a bucket. Rich people could pay $300 and be, um, to be exempt, not to be Well, you'd pay draft. somebody to fight for you, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And African-Americans weren't in, weren't going to be drafted because they weren't U.S. citizens. Right. As per uh, Dred Scott v. Sanford. I don't know uh, much about that case. 
but the names were pulled and they were all Irish names. And that's when the Irish would not, weren't having it. That was the riot. And it's, and it's a really unfortunate phase in our history, but they rioted against the African-Americans. Uh, yeah, so you have all these, you have these people who are being forced to fight. You don't have until mm -hmm. later in the year, I believe, the uh, Massachusetts 54, mm. the famous first um, African-American regiment. Mm. It, they, they don't exist until later in the year. It's, the, it, the whole thing is, is really, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. the, the riot makes no sense. Uh, Ab Abraham Lincoln actually has to send in militia mm -hmm. and volunteer troops coming back from Gettysburg. Back from Gettysburg. Like they didn't have enough to worry about. They had to go quell a riot in the North. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, mm -hmm. it, the riot goes on for like three or four days. I loved, we will probably get more into this topic at a later point, but yeah. you can kind of see, and it's all stuck in five points. You know, this mm -hmm. place that hit him in a, the first, like, American melting pot with, mm -hmm. I think, some pretty good, like, you know, some pretty good integration going on, and then it just shifts. I don't yeah. know if it becomes more overcrowded. There's just so many different... So many different reasons why there's a lot of factors built up going like on, this. Yeah, yeah, it's so. it's just not a good situation, and and couldn't have been honestly that it it would have been a real a real humanitarian feat to to try to manage to get along in in the considering everything that all the groups had going against them. Yeah, it, um, and we will get more into the riots because they're pretty important and uh, interesting, but that was one of many things about about five point is is it was it was a hot spot for for tensions like that i do have a list of a couple of interesting specific fighters okay in the gangs specifically lady fighters wow i know i know there's like there's a bunch of famous women believe it or not and uh and, and quite notorious and they pop up in uh in stories and there's like a composite of, of these women is in uh, Gangs of New York. First of all, there's Battle Annie. She was a member of the Gopher Gang. So this, this one's a little confusing. She was known as the Queen of Hell's Kitchen, and she was the most feared hmm. brick hurler of her time. So it wasn't clear to me if she was a Five Points person or a Hell's Kitchen person. Things were rough on the West Side as well. She was able to assemble a mob of 50 to several hundred women armed with clubs to serve as reserve members in fights against rival gangs or police. Wow. Mm -hmm. And her mob was hired by businesses and also by labor unions throughout the labor disputes of the 1870s. That was Battle Annie. Wow. We also have Hellcat Maggie, who has the best name of all of them, I think. Hellcat Maggie was a member of the Dead Rabbits. She was a noted fighter. Reportedly, her teeth were filed to points, and oh she God. would wear these these brass fingertip things that were like long brass claw fingernails. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Sounds she kind sounds of brutal. Terrifying. She fought the Bowery Boys and uh, she was in the movie. Another one, Sadie the Goat. Uh, Sadie the Goat w was a human being. She would headbutt lone oh travelers and then her accomplice would shoot them with their slingshot and 
they would rob the guy. At one point, her ear was bitten off in a bar fight. Here's what she did. She actually joined the Charlton Street Gang, which is, believe it or not, a band of pirates. So awesome. they hijacked a sloop and they spent the summer of 1869 sailing up and down the Hudson and Harlem Rivers, flying the Jolly Roger, uh, raiding small villages, robbing farmhouses, and kidnapping people for ransom. She gave it up after people in the towns and, and these houses started arming themselves and, uh, and actually uh, made a truce with the woman who bit her ear off. Oh and that gosh. woman I will tell you about right now. That was Gallus Meg. So Gallus Meg was Sadie the Goat's rival. She bit her ear off in a fight. Gallus Meg was a six-foot-tall bouncer at a bar called The Hole in the Wall. And her thing was she would club customers who were, who were getting rowdy and then seize their ear in between her teeth and drag them out as onlookers cheered. Oh, and no. if the ear came off, it went into her jar of alcohol behind the bar. She collected ears. Oh, that's disgusting. Now, now, listeners, this is just the ladies of these gangs. These are just the famous ladies of these gangs. There's, there's some sick, brutal stuff going on. They, they might not have all had guns, but they were fighting as, as hard as they could. Well, I, I have some pretty famous gangsters. Um, I, I don't have as many details as you do. That's really mm -hmm. kind of, I might have nightmares tonight. <laughs> at some point, at some point, Five Point doesn't stay Irish because if you walk through there now, it's not an Irish neighborhood. It's Let's what see. kind of used to be Little Italy. And Chinatown. Parts of it in Chinatown. Mm. So at some point, of course, um, the Irish start moving out. Mm -hmm. uh, it kind of always happens uh, where you... It's it's the dream where, you know, you come here, mm. you get work, you probably live in a really crappy place, <laughs> and then you move out. Mm -hmm. You know, the Irish start moving to Hoboken and Queens, and mm. they just start really leaving Five Point. They start, mm -hmm. and of course, there's always another group of people who move in and take mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. a neighborhood. Uh, and at some point, of course, you have um, a lot of Chinese coming in and Italians. Mm -hmm. And of course, with the Italians come new gangs. Mm -hmm. And this is when we start having the famous Al Capone mm. started in the James Street gang. Mm. Um, you've also got in the Five Points gang, mm -hmm. which I was really surprised up until this point, there was no Five Points gang. Mm -hmm. I guess but, they five um, at some point. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you have uh, Charles Lucky Luciano, very famous. Uh -huh. And of course, Paul Kelly, uh, mm. who founded the Five Points Gang. Wow. And this is kind of more mafia and less... I mean, I, I feel like the Irish gangs were a little more... There, was also, there are actually um, Jewish gangs as well. Pretty mm. much everybody gets a... Everybody gets gang. Mm -hmm. Uh the first non-Irish gang is the Eastman Gang. They're a mm. largely Jewish mm. gang. Uh, but yeah, once the Italians come in, then you really start to have mafia, more mm. mafia-run gangs rather than these just kind of like brawling and rioting. Mm. I mean, I suppose if, if the Irish gangs were early organized crime, this is when it starts to get more and more official and, and regimented. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think most of the Italians coming in uh, that I found, there's a lot of Sicilians coming in, which mm -hmm. the mafia have always been a huge problem there. 
the uh, also with the Irish immigrants moving out, you do, you, despite the draft riots, you do have a lot of men leaving for the Civil War, and then mm. children are kind of left orphans when their fathers don't come back. Mm. The uh, Catholic Church starts even, they try to place children with the New York, but they start just massively moving these Irish orphans to the Midwest. They're kind of adopting them anywhere in the country mm -hmm. that will take them. So that's also a, another part of the Irish leaving mm. five points. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting kind of how, how five points sort of started to recover. It was unimaginable nightmare. How does someone even begin to start to address what's going on? And what started it was Jacob Rees. Oh, yeah. Who wrote a book, How the Other Half Lives. Uh, this was huge. This just had these stark, harrowing photographs of, you know, empty-eyed empty kids uh, sleeping in a pile, the, the crammed in tenements. I mean, this was something that people could see. It wasn't just rumors or, you know, it wasn't just something that maybe some people went slumming and and gawked at this was obvious out there real concrete and there was just no way to ignore it and so reforms had to happen they just had to the ladies home mission society of the methodist episcopal church so this is a group of a nice middle class ladies who i guess had gone slumming or not but knew about this this group of Methodist ladies set their sights on five points in 1850. A Methodist reverend worked with them also. Here's what they did. Are you ready? Yes. The society bought the old brewery. Ah, oh, finally. They bought the worst of the worst, this den of iniquity, this horrific place. They built, they pulled people out. They pulled human remains out. They buried them in a potter's field, raised the building, built a mission on that site. Built, it, it's a school and hospital, and uh, I don't know too much about this mission, but the poor people had a place to go where they could get help and weren't completely at the mercy of the streets. And this was a huge, huge change with one little catch. What's that? Everything they taught the children was Methodist. It was Protestant. Mm, do you start to have massive conversions at this time? Well, the, and these are Irish Catholics, for the most part. And a lot of the Irish Catholics left Ireland at a time when the English had been suppressing teaching of Catholicism. So even when they left the the old sod and came here they didn't have a very strong sense of their religion and there were catholic leaders in the city not many but some who did not like this they were not happy that finally help is coming to five points finally people are starting to turn things around but they're all reading king james bibles and they're not learning their own religion one particular priest who became the first Catholic archbishop in New York City. His name is Dagger John Hughes, like the film director, except people called him Dagger. And, and he was a priest, became the first Catholic archbishop. He actually started, for lack of a better term, Catholic pride. Okay. He 
started teaching the Irish about their religion. He, he never tired of telling Protestants that it was the Catholic Church that gave the world the modern university, organized philanthropy, the hospital, and the greatest music and art in Western civilization. I like that he totally is like, forget about the Romans and the Greeks. It's all about the Catholics. Mm -hmm. It's all about the Catholics, yeah. So he attacked ethnic and religious bigotry, but he also recognized that there was a lot of dysfunction in the behavior of the Irish Catholic community. So he even got government funding and had some programs that were trying to battle alcoholism and promiscuity. He boosted economic development and had programs to boost the self-esteem of Irish women. Wow. It was great. Yeah, yeah. So there was a big improvement. So, I mean, and this is just the, the Irish population in general, not specifically Five Point, but it says in less than a generation, the New York Irish moved from being the criminals to being the policemen and the prosecutors who put the bad guys behind bars. In the mid-19th century, Irish women had a reputation for promiscuity, but by the end of the century, people chided them for being puritanical. Ah, turned completely around. And by 1890, two-thirds of the city's school teachers were young Irish women. Hmm. Yeah. So they did manage to turn it around, but it, it wasn't easy. It took a long time. And, Definitely. I mean, if if you get it to where the neighborhood is good for one group of people, who's to say the next... Mm -hmm group of people it's going to work for. The Roman Catholic Church mm -hmm. does not really get high marks for how it treats Italian immigrants, though. Mm-hmm. And Germans, I believe, as well. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, helping one group, but then kind of ignoring another, it just... Crime continues to fester, but if you've got people who are from the neighborhood, who are staying in the neighborhood, who are becoming police, then, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's people who know the neighborhood and know the people there so they're able to police mm -hmm. it better rather than having police who just avoid the neighborhood entirely mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah yeah and just let those people work it out among themselves yeah 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 and so the first two decades of the 20th century most of those tenements in an effort i think a lot of tenements around the same time were just being demolished they weren't mm -hmm. worth saving mm -hmm. They're already, these are, some of these buildings are even still the buildings that were on bad foundations to begin with because of the exactly. filling in of the swamp and the pond. Mm -hmm. So this is completely raised. And mm -hmm. then now we've got all of our public buildings in Foley Square. Mm -hmm. There's a prison. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to our podcast on Five Points and the mm -hmm. worst slum possibly of New York. I, I kind of want to do some research on um, Hell's Kitchen now to see, you know, maybe maybe we'll cover that mm -hmm. at some point just to see which was the worst. And you guys can let us know which neighborhood you think was truly the worst slum of New York. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to read more about Five Points or about the gangs of New York, there are two books with those exact titles. You could find Five Points by Tyler Anbinder or Gangs of New York, An Informal History of the Underworld by Herbert Asbury. And there are links to those books at the bottom of the page. 
Well, thank you very, very much, Kate. Yeah, thank you, Kathleen, and thank you for listening. And we will listen to you next time here on ABC Gotham. We will talk to you next time, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye. For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, abcgotham.podbean.com. Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. The music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. A favorite song, I wish you could be here with me on this night in New York City. I wish you could be here with me on this night in New York City.